Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than everybody's favourite Yorkshire supporting co-host, Mr Matt Wiley. So Matt, first things first mate, I hope you're keeping well. It was fantastic to see you in person mate at Chelmsford, unfortunately not the result for my Warwickshire lads, as we shall discuss in today's podcast, but always a pleasure catching up, mate. I mean, I've got to ask, how's your day been so far? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Settling into the new job down here in Chelmsford. Um, yeah, been obviously quite a big change, moving so far from home and uh, kind of leaving all the stuff that I was used to behind. But uh, no, it's been good. I've took to it well. Everybody's really nice. Everybody's really welcoming. The house is good. So... Yeah, it's been a good week and, uh, and a good day, and I'm looking forward to the uh, Middlesex game tomorrow, and hopefully Essex can get into the uh, quarterfinals, that'd be nice. It certainly would, and again, those quarterfinal spots, we'll talk about those in a bit more length in the T20 Blast Review Show next week, but yeah, the Blast really has been absolutely captivating this year, and yeah, no doubt that'll be a thrilling end to the group stages in both the North and the South, heading into these next few days, but... Listeners, we aren't here to discuss the T20 Blast. Instead, we are here to discuss the ninth round of the LV County Championship. And just a bit of a disclaimer, this is going to be a long show, right? This is usually the case. It's the mid-season review show. This is more a case of analysis and looking at the bigger picture for each of these teams. So it will be a bit of a bumper recording. But what we will do in the podcast description, we'll leave little timestamps. So if you want to listen to a particular county or a particular match, you can find those in the description below just to make it a bit more manageable and a bit more digestible because, yeah, I do understand that an hour and a half, hour and 40 is a lot of time for a certain podcast, but, yeah, we've got an awful lot to discuss as we'll get into in today's show. And, Matt, to be honest, I say that we just jump straight in to the deep ends and head to South London where Lancashire beats Surrey by 123 runs in a roller coaster of a game at the Kia Oval. Now, Surrey won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this match, a decision which, to be honest, seemed to have paid off quite nicely, as the likes of Jordan Clark and Sean Abbott rifled through the Lancashire batting order to skittle the Red Rose out for just 274 runs on what appeared to be quite a good surface at the Oval. Now, in response to this, Surrey themselves actually didn't get off to a wonderful start. At one point, the, the home side found themselves 219 for eight, with the likes of Will Williams, Tom Bailey, Daryl Mitchell and Jack Blatherwick causing all sorts of problems for the Brown Caps' top-to-middle order. But as has been the case on many an occasion in the 2023 season, Surrey's lower order bailed them out yet again, as Sean Abbott's produced a blistering 87 outs from just 69 deliveries, alongside number 11 Dan Worrell, who chipped in with a very valuable 51 from 73 deliveries to take Surrey up to a much better score of 360 all-out by the end of their first innings. And Matt, this is where we have to touch upon our first talking points of the review show, and that is Surrey's lower order. How many times have they bailed out this team over the course of this year's championship? And obviously Surrey don't have a poor top order by any stretch of the imagination. We saw that last week with the record run chase against Kent in Canterbury, but... On an off day, it just seems time and time and time again, the likes of Sean Abbott, the likes of Tom Laws, the likes of Dan Worrell and Jordan Clark 
just have this knack, this tendency of producing the good when their team needs them the most. So just a few words on Surrey's lower order, Matt. How impressive have they been over the course of this championship campaign so far? Yeah, really impressive, mate. The fact that that's what makes a really good team, I think. You know, everybody, when you can bat so deep and when you, everybody can contribute, I think that's what's really important. And, you know, we've got the fact that the bonus point system means that, you know, every every 50 runs counts, doesn't it? You know, you're not... Essentially, if you're playing a test match, you're just looking to put as many runs on the board as you possibly can in within that one match. But, you know, this is about the wider context of the season. Every 50 runs you get could potentially push you a place higher in the table. It could potentially, you know, ties are sorted out on bonus points, aren't they? If you're level, then it can provide you that sort of crucial point of difference. So, yeah, it's really, really important that you can bat deep. And that's exactly what Surrey do. It's a very good trait to have. And it's a big, you know, it's a big bonus, I think, as well. It's not something that everybody would automatically expect a team to be able to do but they can do it and that's it's very it's a very very important thing it really is and again it has been a characteristic of Surrey's success in the championship so far this summer and surprisingly to a lot of people this might come as a bit of a shock but Sean Abbott actually has the best average of any Surrey cricketer in this year's county championship he scored 385 runs in seven matches at an average of 55 so in, in terms of those key, those crucial, those pivotal lower order runs, that was definitely on display yet again in South London this week. But to give Lancashire a lot of credit, they did seem to bat a bit better in their second innings. And two men in particular, Matt, that we do have to give a very special shout out to are Will Williams and Phil Salt. That was an absolutely brilliant sixth wicket stand. 95 runs, crucial runs in the wider context of this game. And Will Williams, 61 was impressive enough, but the fact that he survived for 220 balls, it was an innings that showed his resilience, his resolve, his fortitude, and his tenacity at the crease. I was really impressed with him. And again, we spoke about Surrey's lower order coming to the forefront. Admittedly, Williams was pushed up as a result of being a night watchman. But again, that was a great innings, crucial runs, which ultimately did help Lanks set a target. And this is where we got on to our second big question of the review show so far. Because heading into Surrey's second innings, bear in mind that this team had chased 501 against Kent last week, was set a target of just 208 runs. And even the Surrey commentary team on the live stream were acting as though this game was a given. 208 was a pedestrian run chase. Surrey would chase it down with, I think they said, four or five wickets to spare. And yet that was not the case in South London this week, as the aforementioned Will Williams scythed through the Surrey batting lineup with figures of four for 23, Preston's very own Tom Bailey as well, producing a seam bowling exhibition with figures of five for 48, as Lancashire seamers skittled Surrey for just 84 runs within the space of 33. Point three overs. Matt, a few words on that run chase from Surrey. How good was that bowling display from Williams, from Tom Bailey, and also Jack Blatherwick, who is just going under the radar, isn't he, over the course of this season in a Lancashire? He has, yeah. He's been just kind of one of those sort of 
put his head down and done his job and it's the sort of operator that I'm quite a big fan of really. Um it came to Lancashire obviously having the having left Nottinghamshire, you know, obviously he he was brought through another chess match playing venue. His obviously talent wasn't in doubt but they felt that he had to move on, but he's done a perfectly good, acceptable job at uh, at Lancashire and he can bat a bit as well, you know, if we're talking about lower order batters, you've just got to mention that there. He's um a handy little uh, handy little player, yeah. But no, he was um, kind of pushed almost out of the limelight a little bit, wasn't he, by Bailey and Williams, who, uh, yeah, they just didn't give Surrey an inch. I mean, I'm not quite sure whether it was Surrey losing it or Lancashire winning it, but it was definitely down to putting them under that relentless pressure, just not barely, like, like you said, the pitch was all right. It was Yes, it was a day four wicket, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was hardly a minefield. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it was a really, really good all-round bowling performance. Everybody filled the role, and Surrey will look back on this one. You know, I, I think they'll still win the title. But I think they'll probably still win the title at Canter, but they'll definitely look back at this one and think, hmm, should have done a bit better there, I think. Well, they should have done a lot better, and in terms of the loss itself, obviously that is groundbreaking in what was essentially for a lot of people an open and shut title race. People were looking at this season and going, Surrey have pretty much walked to the title already. But this is the beauty of the county championship. It's a long season. And this was a fantastic showing from the Lancashire Bowlers in South London this week. And Matt, in terms of the wider context of this as well, you know I love stats, you know I love facts and figures. This was Surrey's first loss at the Oval in 19 matches. This is their first loss since August 2020 when Kent beat them in the Bob Willis Trophy. The Oval really has been the very definition of a cricketing fortress, and it was breached by the Red Rose of Lancashire. And we speak about the likes of Williams, we speak about the likes of Bailey and Blatherwick. If we look at the stats from those three so far this summer, Tom Bailey, Lancashire's leading wicket-taker, 28 wickets at 20.57. Will Williams, 26 wickets, an average of 20.14. And then Jack Blatherwick, six wickets in two matches at an average of 28.33. So in terms of the the final question from this game, Matt, and again, this is a big question, right? Because it's very much a hypothetical scenario. But let's say that Surrey do lose another game and Lancashire win their game in hand. Are Lancashire County Cricket Club dark horses for the title? Because they've got a game in hand. They've got an excellent seam attack. We know the strength of their batting as well. And they haven't lost a game yet. They're the only unbeaten team in the division. So are we maybe discounting Lancs a little bit too soon? What are your thoughts when it comes to the title race and Lancs' position in the table right now? Um, yeah, no, I think I think we might be, to be honest. I think, obviously, that poor start... Well, that's the thing, it's not even... You can call it a poor start, because obviously they were winless in the first five, weren't they? But like you said, they were also unbeaten. It's kind of a really weird sort of very middling performance, isn't it? But such is the county championship and such is the small nature of the division. You know, in fact, there's only 10 teams in the division. That that would be, you know, you, you think, you know, the fifth, they're, they're only four places off the top. Well, yeah, sure, but they're only four places off the relegation zone as well. It's it's so tightly packed. And the fact that, yeah, maybe we look into that and say, yeah, one defeat can cost you. Um, I think Surrey have the quality of it. I've already said it. I think Surrey will win the, will win the title. And that's not me. You know, I have taken the Yorkshire hat off. I think Lancashire probably have 
cost themselves a little bit too much with that inability to finish games off earlier in the season. But yeah, like you said, that's the beauty of the county championship, the fact that it's such a long season. It, that's why everybody wants to win it because it's good because you know you have to be the best over the course of the whole season you know to win the blast you can have a really good six weeks and actually to be fair not even that you can have a really good three weeks and come through and win it uh same for the one day cup yeah for the championship you can't have a really good three weeks. you have to have a really good three months four months and you have to be incredibly on it in every department don't you so that explains why one defeat can cost you so badly so yeah it, you see you've got me thinking now Surrey will still win the league but Lancashire will be closer than they are at the moment but you know there's other teams in there as well it's not a too hard race there certainly are as we'll discuss in our next game between Essex and Warwickshire but again this is the beauty of the county championship a lot of people as I said had written off everybody else this was already Surrey's title to lose and the brown caps have slipped up as a result of a fantastic bowling display from the Red Rose of Lancashire. So, again, I don't think it's open and shuts. I think that door is ajar, and that will just maybe sow some seeds of doubt in the minds of Surrey heading into the rest of the season. And you look at their schedule in September, the Bears visit the Oval. If the Bears are in the mix, that could be an interesting game. And then last game of the season is a tough away trip to the Aegeus Bowl against Hampshire. So, We'll have to wait and see, folks. But as I said, full credit to Lancashire. A magnificent performance. Fair enough, the batting wasn't quite to the standard from which we expect of Lancashire. I do think they could have improved in certain facets. A lot of chasing at wide deliveries with that Cookerborough ball this week. But yeah, you cannot fault the bowling. I thought the, the seamers were absolutely magnificent in South London this week. So yeah, full credit to Lanks for securing that massive victory. But... Matt, aside from that encounter then, the Clash of the Titans in South London, let's keep in the south of England and let's head to the game which we both attended in person. Let's go to Chelmsford, where Essex beat the Bear and Ragged staff by nine wickets in a rather one-sided affair at the Cloud County ground. Now, Essex won the toss and elected to have a bat first on a very hot day in Chelmsford, a decision which, to be honest, paid off quite masterfully as Dan Lawrence and Tom Wesley completely killed this game, basically, on the first day, with a monumental 227-run stand for the third wicket to help take Essex to a colossal total of 457 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, the Bears never really turned up in their first innings, unfortunately. Aside from Will Rhodes, the captain, who battled away with 43 from 88 deliveries, it was the Simon Harmer show in Chelmsford this week, with the irresistible South African off-spinner taking figures of 5 for 65 from 22.5 overs to ultimately sigh through the Bears' batting lineup and dismiss the visitors for a paltry total of 158 all-outs. So, Matt, before we discuss the Bears' second innings, which in fairness to them was a lot better, and I respect the amount of fight shown from a few of the individuals that made the trip down to Chelmsford this week, much better in that second innings, but <laughs> a few words first and foremost on that partnership between Tom Wesley and Dan Lawrence. That was quite the viewing, wasn't it, to, to see that on day one? It was, yeah, and uh, this was the bit that uh, we were, well, I was certainly enjoying it. I'm not so sure about you, but uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really good watching um, that, that in the stand. 
Um, yeah, they complemented each other brilliantly, didn't they? They, um, they? they attacked when they needed to attack. They left alone when they needed to leave alone. It was really confident, quality batting. I don't think either of them really had much of an opportunity to uh, gave away many opportunities in in eighteen either. They're not, you know, Dan Lawrence in particular going really big. Um, yeah, I was interested to see the sort of reception that he would get given the news that he's moving to Surrey, but I don't think there was any great sour grapes or anything like that, was there? The, the crowd seemed quite appreciative of what he was doing. Um, and then, yeah, Tom Wesley is somebody who spent, not that Dan Lawrence hasn't spent a lot of time at Essex, but Tom Wesley is someone who's seriously spent a hell of a lot of time at Essex and he's uh, done the job for them over a number of years. And yeah, he was excellent. Um, it was just a, yeah, it was a pretty demoralising partnership to watch from a Warwickshire point of view, wasn't it? But just piling it on, took advantage of the ball being a bit dead and just, yeah, moved, moved the game forward at a pace that allowed it to finish in three days, really. Yeah, I think in hindsight, it was a good toss to win, wasn't it, from Tom think, Wesley? Uh, yeah. It really was. I mean, that was a baking hot day in the southeast of England. And then, obviously, the pitch deteriorated, as we shall discuss in due course. But, again, even though it was against my county, you have to to say plaudits and give credit to the likes of Wesley and Lawrence. And Tom Wesley is having quite the season for Essex so far this summer. 751 runs at 53.64. He scored two centuries and three fifties. And he scored 106 fours, which is quite staggering. 424 runs have come from boundaries alone. So, yeah, Tom Wesley, definitely the informed man for Essex over the course of this summer. But as I said, aside from Essex's first innings and the Bears' response to that, Warwickshire did that a lot better in their second innings. And three guys in particular who I have to give a tremendous amount of credit to are Dan Mosley. He scored a quick fire 61 from 74 took the attack very nicely to the Essex spinners. Then Loney Donbess, 63 from 68. A lot of people obviously know Donbess for being a spinner, but he can bat as well. And again, he played some lovely shots down in Chelmsford this week. And then for me, the standout with the bat for the Bears in this particular match, an albeit disappointing game in the grander scheme of things, but Jake Lintop, 78 from 67 balls, which included 14 fours and two sixes. He can back Carney Mats. I mean, I just think back to 2021, and obviously this is not first-class cricket, but he scored 41 from 20 against Kent in the quarterfinal, a game which, unfortunately, we ended up losing. But do you think he should be promoted up the order in games where he does play for the Bear and Ragged staff? What are your thoughts on, on Jake's batting? Well, it took me by surprise, I've got to be honest. Um, I didn't really realise that he had that in his locker. Um, yeah. I don't see why not. I think in that, you know, he, he had a license to pretty much do what he wanted, didn't he? You know, there was no pressure on him. His, his side was still in a deficit when, when he came in. Um, no one was really expecting it. it. It was almost, it was about the fact that the top order hadn't really done their job to start with. So, you know, the, the, the tail end, you can just sort of go in and play your shots and have a bit of fun and that's what he did you know the fact that Simon Hammer was bowling so frequently and they brought Matt Critchley on as well at the other end you know two spinners if a spinner even is slightly dropped short or bowls a full toss then you know you can smoke it, it it's headed into the River Chelmers and it so it's there's plenty of opportunity to score and score quickly but yeah he took 
every single one of them. He, you know, obviously it wasn't ultimately the case, but he set up a potentially tricky little chase for Hicks. It, he almost took away that, you know, there's, there's a real humiliation when you lose by an innings, isn't there? And he made sure that that wasn't the case. You know, nine wickets is still a pretty comprehensive win, but at the same time, it's not an innings, which is really important. And I think, yeah, it was just a really good, uh, a re really impressive performance from a player that I didn't know had it in him. Well, he certainly does. And again, it was just a shame that it did ultimately come in a losing cause. But I agree with the sentiment there, Matt. I mean, if you are going to lose a game, it was obvious for the Bears that they were going to end up on the, on the wrong end of the result. Go down fighting, at least make the opposition bat again. And that's all I can ask for. You're going to lose games, you're going to have bad days, you're going to have bad sessions, but at least show some some fights, some grit, some determination for the badge. And yeah, at least the likes of Best Mosley and Lintop did that in the second innings. But unfortunately for the Bears, yeah, Simon Harmer was just on one of those kind of streaks, wasn't he, this week? Match figures of 10 for 230. All of a sudden, he does this every single year. Second leading wicket taker in the division with 36 wickets. I mean, how this guy does it year in, year out. Bear in mind, you look at his average, it's 28.25, and you're thinking, oh, he's not having a great season for Essex. And as I just mentioned there, second leading wicket-taker in the entire division. And I guarantee he'll probably end it either there or indeed in first place yet again. But such a fantastic player with the Cookerborough ball, and he just spun a web over the Warwickshire batters this week. And ultimately, as a result of that, Essex needed a relatively meagre target of just 83 runs to chase down, which to the surprise of absolutely nobody, they did it at Canter. Just took them 15 overs for Rose Cushy. She won a quick fire, 40 from 46 balls. Sir Alistair Cook scoring 23 and out. And the aforementioned Wesley finishing things off with a, a run of ball, 12 and out. So a very comprehensive victory for Essex. As I said, it was a great toss to win. Simon Harmer bowled excellently. And of course, the batting definitely came to the forefront for the southeastern outfit this week but just one final question matt before we get into our conversation about somerset and knots are essex in contention for the title what are your thoughts on that uh you, is this going to be the question for every single team is, is this team in contention is this one in contention um yeah why not um you know i said about lancashire kind of you know if they can get on a run then they might as well be yeah same for essex i mean you know they've only lost one game all season and they've just beating the team that beat them so you know essentially you can cancel that out and you know i'm, I'm not not gonna be silly and say they haven't lost one because it's all cancelled out etc but you know they've proven that even the team that beat them they can get the better of them so why not get the better of anyone um yeah obviously the real test will be against surrey but let's uh let's see what happens there's, there's a lot of cricket stuff to be played there really is, and again, I do think that's an important point to make. We're halfway through the season. There's loads of cricket still to be played, and yeah, Essex in Chelmsford, very, very strong. I've got to say, I witnessed that firsthand, so fair play to Essex. As for Warwickshire, bring Sam Hain back as soon as his hamstring's fully fit, and yeah, we have got a fully fit batting lineup. We'll determine things from there, but definitely a big bounce back needed against Kent and Canterbury over the course of the next couple of weeks. But aside from that game then, the clash between Essex and Warwickshire and Chelmsford. Matt, let's turn our attention to the west of England and let's go to Taunton, where Somerset thrashed Nottinghamshire by 399 runs in a crazy affair. 
at the Cooper Associates County ground. Now, Somerset won the toss and opted to have a bat first in this game, a decision which, to be honest, appeared to have backfired spectacularly, as Brett Hutton, Dane Patterson and Matthew Carter skittled the home side for just 163 runs within 48.1 overs on the first day's play. Now, in response to this, not seemed as though they had a massive advantage. At one point, they were 158 for six, until a man by the name of Matt Henry came to the show. Figures of six for 59 from 20 overs from the irresistible Kiwi scene bowler saw not collapse to 186 all out by the end of their first innings. Matt's a few words on Matt Henry, because let's face it, we both reacted in the exact same way on day one. We saw Somerset win the toss, they opted to bat, they had a collapse, and we thought, right, they're in a lot of trouble here. And yet the way in which Matt Henry bowled in particular, that was quite a memorable display, wasn't it, from the Kiwi seamer in Taunton this week? Well, yeah, I'm a big fan of Matt Henry, kind of the way he goes about his business. And to be honest, I'm still yet to be presented with a Kiwi that, that I'm not a fan of. Um, yeah, he's, he's really good, isn't he? You know, he's quite sort of, he's built very well, isn't he? He's a good, you know, he's a good strong bowler. He can bang it into the surface, which is quite important with the Kookaburra ball. You want to be able to put the pace on the ball and, it's, you know, work with the, um, if you can get it, um, reverberating off the surface then that's how you're going to get the most out of it especially when it's a bit dead later on and there's not so much seam or swing happening and yeah he just um, you, you know obviously comes from the sort of part of the world New Zealand is a bit different to Australia but the, the part of the world where it is used and he knows what he's doing with it and that that was important you know he mastered it um, the not as batters obviously certainly the tail end struggled with it a little bit more and then indeed as we find out in the second innings they really struggled with it um, yeah it's those sort of that ability to finish off a team that makes things that that can be crucial you know like teams inability to finish Surrey off for example this season has been a big contributing factor to a lot of Surrey's success whereas an ability to finish a team off means that you're the ones that can be you know that, that, that team is the one that can be successful um, you pick up bowling points, you stop your opponents from getting those extra crucial batting points towards the end of the inning, you stop your opponents from building a lead, you stop your opponents from getting a bit of momentum and maybe even thinking about a declaration if they start to add some late inning runs. You know, you, you just you blow through the tail, you finish them off and that's it, job done. And it keeps your morale high. So there's a lot of positives that go with being able to take those last few wickets quickly. And yeah, when you've got a bowler of the quality of Matt Henry and your team, it is really, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's the sort of overseas that can make a difference, and that's what he's done. He really can. He, he's the definition of a marquee signing, isn't he? And over the course of his first four matches for Somerset in the Championship, 18 wickets for the Kiwi seam bowler at an average of 18.27. So, an inspired piece of business from the Wyverns of Somerset. And this is where the game completely changed, isn't it? It was almost as though there was a complete halt in Nottinghamshire's momentum. And all of a sudden, Somerset started to build some some momentum of their own. The rhythm of this game completely changed. And a, a massive part of that, first and foremost, was Tom Lammerby's 73 up the top of the innings. That's great to see Tom Lammerby scoring runs up the top of the order because it's so crucial at a ground like Taunton to lay a foundation, in particular for a team like Somerset, 
have got such a, a strong and capable middle order. And talking of that middle order, two guys in particular, Matt, that we just have to talk about, George Bartlett and James Rue. First and foremost, George Bartlett, 134 from 265 balls, his eighth career first-class century. I'm glad that he's back in a Somerset shirt in Red Bull crickets. And I know that a lot of people look at his technique, they look at his front pad, and he's definitely an LBW candidate. Pretty much every single ball, he does have a big forward stride. But in terms of the class that he displays at the crease, he is good to watch when he's in this sort of form. So I thought that was a great innings. And then we have to talk about James Rue. And Matt, this is a big question for me from this particular episode, let alone the the game. But is James Rue the breakthrough star in Division 1 so far this season? Because if we look at his output so far, 731 runs, averaging 60.91. He scored four centuries, 150. He's the second leading run scorer in the entire division and Somerset's leading run scorer in the championship so far. Is James Rue the breakthrough star of Division 1 so far this season? I think you have to say he is, don't you? Um, the number of centuries, the ability to go big so repeatedly, that's the sort of thing that makes you stand out, isn't it? And he's stood out, yeah, like an absolute lie. It's just, We've talked about him before, haven't we? There's not really much more I can say about him other than the, the maturity is just he plays like somebody ten years older, isn't it? That and that is so massively crucial. Um yeah, he's a hell of a talent, Somerset. I've got a really someone really, really special here. And I think the good thing is as well is there's no county really that I would think, Oh god, I hope he moves because I won't trust that team with young talent, but you would really trust Somerset with young talent, wouldn't you? You've seen the sort of players that they bring through. You've seen their ability to develop players, the young players that that have developed over the, over the past number of years, and they do it well. You know, they they do it quietly, really. You know, there's, there's usually one or two players that come through every season. In, you know, in recent years, is it been Casey Aldridge? Um, you know, if, even if we're going. Further back, it's been people like the Overton brothers, you know, people that come through and just learn their craft at Somerset. And then, in some of the cases, they go on to bigger things. I would say better things, but I would say bigger things. Um, and then, on some stay, you know, Lamanby, Tom Banton, uh, Will Smead in the White Ball Arena. There's a lot of, you know, talented players that have been developed down in Taunton. And yeah, I think he is definitely the latest one. And it'll be really interesting to keep tracking his progress over the next however many years. Well, it will, Matt. And again, I think it's quite obvious when it comes to my thoughts and feelings on James Rue. I think he's got a tremendously high ceiling. And to be honest, how privileged, how blessed and how fortunate are we in terms of that generation from the Under-19 World Cup with him, Rian Ahmed, Jacob Bethel, Tom Prest. I mean... Goodness me, we'll be talking about these guys for for many years to come. I have absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. But uh, aside from that mammoth, mammoth batting display from Somerset in the second innings, it was almost like they played the Una reverse card, didn't they? With 514 for eight declares in that particular innings. But yeah, they, they completely blew knots away yet again in their run chase. An albeit difficult run chase of 492 runs, but yeah, not skittled out for 92 within the space of 25.1 overs. Josh Davey 
being the standout on this occasion for Somerset with figures of four for 17. So, Matt, before we get into our discussion about Kent versus Northants, one final question this time about Nottinghamshire. Are you concerned about their batting? Because if we look at the batting bonus points in the division, Notts have only been able to muster eight over the course of eight matches. They currently sit in seventh position. They're struggling to generate any sort of momentum and get wins under their belts. Is Nottinghamshire's batting now a cause for concern, given the lack of Ben Duckett's with his involvement in the England side? Perhaps a little bit. I think the main thing that I'm more concerned about is their approach. And, you know, the, the thing is with their approach, they've, they've been, obviously, they're not quite full bad ball, are they? But they've, they've been quite um, attacking and free-flowing over the number over a number of years, really. I mean, that's Peter Moore's style, isn't it? Just that, that kind of fearless sort of go-for-it type tactic. And when it comes off, you really can build momentum and you can do really well. You know, so 2021, that was the first, the first win in, what was it, about two years? And then they went on them, went on an incredible run and got to third and they were within a whisk of winning the championship. And then last year, they only lost twice on the way, all the way through to getting promotion relatively easily. It was, you know, it was a very, very, it's a, it's a tactic that when it worked, it worked really, really well. But when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. It's one extreme or the other. And I think, you know, this is still a developing team. There's still people in there like Lyndon James, Liam Patterson White, who've got to learn a little bit more. You know, they've, they've kind of cut the teeth in Division 2, but then they step up to Division 1. And yes, it's a step up. I, I think, the, you know, you know the, the divide isn't that massive, but it's there is still a, a divide there. And I just think that, yeah, they, they perhaps need to temper their approach slightly. Um, you know, there's a fine line between aggression and over and overdoing it. And sometimes not. I think maybe just need to make sure that they're staying on the right side of that line. I think they really do. Is that also an indirect, maybe little sentence towards England as well after proceeding? Oh, so no, not also. at all. No, I'm, I'm loving bad ball. I cannot say enough good things about basketball, mate. I am loving it. Fair enough. I mean, I've seen a lot of comments today. Obviously, for those who don't know, we are recording this on, on day two of the Ashes test at Lords. There has been a lot of, of Twitter fallouts from England's approach today, in particular with the short ball trap, but we won't get into too much talk about that because we don't have time on today's podcast. But <laughs> no, I agree, Matt, with with knots in terms of the, the style and approach of their batting. Maybe it is to the detriment at some points, and maybe it's just something to look upon heading into the rest of the season, because if it's not working, things do need to change. We'll have to wait and see if Peter Moores and the Nottinghamshire think tank do change anything over the course of the season. It's a tough one, because I don't want to see them go back into the show, because that, to me, represents a backward step. Like I like this style of positivity. I like this idea that you can take take the fight to your opponents. I, I want to see more teams try and hit the front foot because I think that's how we create exciting games. Because I do think, you know, there is the possibility that, wow, there's endless possibilities for ridiculously exciting games of first-class cricket. There is also the possibility for kind of periods of a bit where it can stagnate, a bit where it can become a bit games of attrition, you know, a couple of hours where there's not a lot going on and it can prove a little bit sort of slow and stodgy. Whereas you won't get that with 
teams that decide to sort of try and fly through their innings or try and you know take the fight to their opponents but and and, and i really do like it but it's a tough one because obviously you don't want to pay the price of losing matches in you know you know if the, if the price of playing nicely is losing matches then yeah that's the price not worth paying but i'd be i'd be disappointed if this the response to this was to go into the shelves a little bit well we'll have to wait and see won't we if results yeah. don't keep on going nazi's way and things might have to change thing. but again we'll have to wait and see only time will tell it's a very very funny division is division one in this year's county championship and matt talking of a team which batted very aggressively this week let's turn our attention now to the east midlands and let's go to wantage road where kent hammered northamptonshire by an innings and 15 runs within the space of just three days. Now, Northampton won the toss and opted to have a bat first on what seemed to be quite a good wicket at Wantage Road this week. But surprisingly, this decision actually appeared to have backfired as the home side were bowled out for a very underwhelming total of 237 within the space of just 64.2 overs on the first day of play, with Wes Agar taking an excellent 5 for 63 and Hamid Kadri chipping in with an excellent 3-for-69, as Kent really did put the, the hammer down over the course of this opening day. And that's just with the ball that we're talking about. <laughs> Kent didn't just do it with the ball, did they? Instead, they did it with the bat. And Matt, before we talk about the standout performance from this particular game at Wantage Road, let's take a moment to appreciate that innings from Tawanda Muyeye. What a talent this guy is. We talk about class, we talk about flair, we talk about elegance, panache, aesthetically pleasing cricketers. Tawanda Muyeye really does fit the bill for every single one of those superlatives. 179 from 205 deliveries, 19 fours, four sixes. What a talent this guy is proving to be. Yeah, he's, he's incredible, isn't he? There was a little bit of chatter about him the first time it came to my attention when there was a bit of talk about him and that he might be a really good signing um, not long after he signed for Kent actually um, but yeah he was just I, I didn't know much about him I didn't really have much of a chance to watch him at that point but then since then you know um, I've, see, I've seen his highlights I've seen his kind of his best bits and yeah he, he's a seriously classy player isn't he he's pleasing to watch he's very very aesthetic he's you know, he, he doesn't just, I've, I've just spoken about kind of the value of playing nicely and playing positively and that's what he does, isn't it? Yeah, you know, at the top of the order, like you said, it's important to stamp your mark on on proceedings when you've got kind of two types of opening. You've got one that wears the new ball down and sees it off and then you've got one that takes the attack to the bowlers and tries to wear, the, wear things down that way by scoring against them quickly and he's very much a latter, isn't he? He's a, um, he's a good player and he's only young as well I'm sure there's been a much higher feeling and yeah he's been a really quite a crude signing and uh, long may it continue I think Well I'm obviously in the Tawanda Muyeye camp so yeah I completely agree with that to be honest Matt I think he's a wonderful cricketer and, and talking of class performers let's turn our attention now to the main man which is of course Daniel Bell Drummond 300 not outs from 439 deliveries 26 fours and a six, just the third man in Kent's illustrious cricketing history to rack up a triple century in first-class cricket. 
Matt, I want to, to test out your cricket knowledge here. I want to see if you can name the other two, right? Because one of them, relatively recently, happened a few years ago. The other one happened a very long time ago. So do you reckon you can name the other two who have scored triple centuries for Kent? Um, Sean Dixon. Yep, that's the first one. Excellent. And then the other one I've got no chance, have I? Uh, Colin Cowdery's great-granddad. <laughs> it's a good guess, in fairness. It wasn't Colin Cowdery, which actually might be quite surprising to a lot of people. It wasn't Colin Cowdery. It was Bill Ashdown. Oh, so obviously. there we go. Only two other cricketers before Deebs had racked up triple centuries for Kent in first-class cricket. But uh, again, we could list every single superlative under the sun when it comes to this innings. But it was just a sight to behold, wasn't it? He's had a pretty rough start to the season as well as Daniel Beltrum, and before this game, he'd scored 190 runs over the course of nine innings. So to really stamp his authority after a brilliant display for Kent so far in the blast was fantastic to see. And again, I tip my cap to Daniel Beltrum for that innings because, as I said, it was special. It's one of those knocks which we won't forget, a bit like Sam Northeast 400 against Leicestershire last season. They're ones that you remember for a very, very long time. And as a result of that 300 as a result of Tawanda Muyeye's very classy 179, Kent were ultimately bowled out for a monumental total of 621 runs in the 144th over of their innings. Now, with an absolute mountain to climb, Northampton, in fairness, did show a lot more fight in their second innings, with Luke Proctor, Rob Keogh and Jack White all scoring 50s on their way to taking Northampton past the 300 mark. But... Unfortunately for North Ants, it was just a bridge too far, wasn't it? I mean, a massive deficit. They did get close to erasing that and making Kent bat again, but ultimately, yeah, Jack White was, was dismissed by Joe Denley, and that was that. That was curtains, unfortunately, for North Ants. And in terms of the, the wider picture, yeah, it's not looking good, is it, for North Ants, unfortunately? Rock bottom of the table, still winless. And you look at the batting bonus points, they've had one all season. Compare that to the bowling bonus points where they've had 17. It's been a real struggle, hasn't it, for the East Midlands County in the first division this season? Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's kind of difficult because you want teams like that to do well. You want, you know, the proof that there's no discrepancy between the test venues or the, the international venues and then the ones that don't get that benefit and the ones that don't have the benefit of that money coming in. And, you know, you you kind of want to say that discrepancy doesn't exist, but then, of course, it does, doesn't it? It's it's a tough one. Um, but, yeah, this is Northamptonshire's uh, time in the first division up, I think, isn't it, unfortunately? They, they do incredibly well to get promoted. They've, it's not like they've just come up and then gone straight back down. They have competed. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to get out of this, definitely. Yeah, unfortunately, Matt, I do have to agree with that. And that pains me to say, because as people know, like Northants, but I do think it's it's too much of a mountain to climb, to be honest. I mean, last season, their batting was such a strength as well, with the additions of Ryan Rickleton and Will Young. And unfortunately, so far this season, I mean, things just haven't clicked at all, have they? Like, you I mean, you look at the averages, not a single batter, averaging over 40. The highest run scorer so far is Rob Keogh with 431 runs at 39.18, but... Aside from him and Sam Whiteman, nobody else has even surpassed the 260-run mark. So it's been a massive, massive issue for North Anson's. Even though there are positives to take away, as I mentioned, Rob Keogh did bat well in this particular game. 
with scores of 97 and 57. It was also fantastic to see Alex Russell take his first ever five-wicket haul in first-class cricket with those figures of six for 175. But in the wider context of things, you look at the strength in depth of Northants compared to other counties, and unfortunately they are going to struggle, I think, for the rest of the season. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Obviously, it's a funny sport. Things can change. One victory for North Ants could spark the momentum, but yeah, it's looking very difficult. I think they need a bit of a change in the batting lineup, to be completely honest. But again, only time will tell. That is up to John Sadler and the leadership group. But as for Kent, massive win. Huge, huge win in the wider context because all of a sudden, they've got a 21-point gap over Middlesex in ninth. So this was big for Kent. They've done the double over North Ants. It was a convincing victory. And to be honest, they do seem to be turning a corner. I know it's very, very early to say that, but the blast seems to have came at a really good time for Kent. They've generated rhythm in that competition. As I said, Daniel Bell Drummond has just been electrifying in the T20s. And yeah, he's clearly transferred that rhythm, that confidence, that momentum into the Red Bull format as well. So yeah, good week for Kent, to say the least. Yeah, six wins in a row in the T20 blast. And then a victory over Northants at Wanted Road. You can't really complain about that. But Matt, aside then from that game between Kent and Northants, a very one-sided affair, it has to be said, in the East Midlands. Let's head to our fifth and final game in Division 1 for the ninth round, which saw Hampshire hammer Middlesex by an innings and 61 runs at the Aegeus Bowl. Now, Hampshire won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this particular game, a decision which, unsurprisingly appeared to have paid off very, very well for the Rosen Crown, as Nick Gubbins dug deep, entrenched himself well, and scored a very good 120 from 318 balls, alongside the inform Liam Dawson, who smashed 141 from 247 deliveries, to take the home side up to a commanding total of 419 runs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Middlesex just didn't turn up at all with the bat in hands this week. The, the sacks is being bowled out for 150 runs. Aside from Sam Robson's 38, there wasn't really any score of notes. As the likes of, of Liam Dawson, who we'll talk about in due course, Matt, he took figures of 6 for 40, Kyle Abbott taking 2 for 24, and Mohamed Abbas taking 1 for 19, were just simply too irresistible for the London club on the South Coast this week. So, Matt, I, I did allude to it there, but let's talk about Liam Dawson. It's the Ashes summer. Moeen Ali's injured. Rian Ahmed was called up as his replacement as a result of that finger injury. And I've looked on Twitter. I've looked on Instagram. There's been a lot of talk from Hampshire fans saying that Liam Dawson has been absolutely robbed of the opportunity to play for England again. In your opinion, do you think that Liam Dawson should be in the Ashes squad? Where do you sit on the whole debate? Because if we talk about people taking things personally, a bit like Michael Jordan in the last dance, right? Liam Dawson definitely did that this week, didn't he? It was almost like, look, I'm here, I exist. I'll score a century in the first innings, take a six for in Middlesex's innings. And it was a match-defining performance. So where do you sit on that? Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a nice idea, isn't it, to think, oh, you just, just kind of walk straight into the England team. But it's just, I think the problem that you've got is that that is such a... I think McCullum's prided himself, hasn't he, on creating a really settled group you know players don't just walk straight in they come in they spend time around the group they play one game then 
they spend some more time around the group, then they subfield for a bit, then they come in and then they get a proper prolonged run in the two. And I think, you know, that's what happened with Wayne Armoured. It's what hopefully is going to happen now with Josh Tong. It's, I think it's, I think it's very difficult as well. You'd, he also doesn't just drop players at the drop of a hat, does he? It's, I think the problem that you've got is that there are players in that group who are ahead of him at the time. And yes, he's talented enough. And, you know, yes, it would be lovely to see him back in there. And I'd have absolutely no problem if they announced tomorrow that he was in the squad for the third test and all well and good with the world. He's definitely good enough. But I think at the moment he's very, very tough to break into the England team, which, let's face it, is probably a good thing. You know, it means that we've got a good competitive team that's not just basically saying, yes, give us anything, we'll take anyone. And Liam Dawson isn't just anyone, I'm not saying that, but it's just, yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult to break into that England team at the moment. And all I would say, to be honest, is England's lost his Hampshire's game without a shadow of a doubt. It's like I would love right now to have Harry Brook back in the uh, back in the Yorkshire team, but uh, we haven't got him, have we? We'd, uh, it, he's, he's in England and he's doing well there, and yeah, that's, I think that's the thing. Once it's very difficult to get in, but once you're in, it's it's also very difficult for the county to get him back. So it's like it depends. If you're a Hampshire fan, you know what do you want? Do you want to see him play three tests and then? come back to you for the end of the season because I think you might find that if he gets into England and does even remotely well then you might not see him for 18 months so yeah it's an awkward balance to strike um, I think you've just got to recognise basically say to him yes you are good enough it's outside forces that are stopping you from getting into that England team and for now you've got a team in Hampshire a set of fans that love you enjoy your cricket for your domestic team well, I think it's safe to say, to be honest, Matt, that he's definitely enjoyed his cricket this week, hasn't he? Match figures of, of 12 for 130 for Liam Dawson. And again, just to give some statistical background to this, Hampshire's second leading wicket-taker in the Championship so far this summer, 22 wickets, an average of 16.45, a strike rate of 32.5, which is the best of any Hampshire bowler. And then, as if the, the bowling stats weren't good enough, Hampshire's fourth leading run scorer, with 384 runs at an average of 34.9. So, again, in terms of the whole debate about Liam Dawson, I do think for Hampshire fans, you're probably better off having him in the Hampshire setup right now, in particular with the Kookaburra ball, because he's bowled very nicely with it. But in terms of that wider picture, I think for the future, Liam Dawson should at least be in the mix. I'm talking about if England go to the subcontinent, for example, whether that's India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, depending on the surfaces which are created there. I do think he is a valuable option. He's certainly still got it, and he, he does give the ball an awful lot of revs. So, yeah, Liam Dawson, definitely a standout performer from this particular match. I saw one tweet as well. I can't remember who it was. Um, might have been Matt Roller at Quick Info, but he was saying that he compared it to Kevin Peterson when he got 355, when there was all that kind of uh, talk about it. It's like, there's an opportunity here, and Liam Dawson, you know, the you could not have picked at any more perfect time to do it. Um, and, you know, it, it's got people talking. Um, maybe it will lead to something. I don't know. Um, who have we got this winter? We've got the West Indies, haven't we? Yeah, that's not exactly subcontinent, is it? I don't know if we're going to... Uh, we're not going to India, are we? I don't know if we're going to 
Pakistan again or Bangladesh or anywhere in the... Um, I know we've got the World Cup, obviously. I'm talking about Red Bull um, in January, possibly. There might be a chance for him to come back. Um, but yeah, like I said, Hampshire can enjoy him while they've got him. And I think they certainly will. And I think Hampshire fans will be very lucky to have Liam Dawson. But aside from the Hampshire talk, Matt, before we do turn our attention to the tables and our Division 2 chats, quick word on Middlesex, because, again, that was a pretty poor performance. Bowled out for 208 in the second innings. It was a very one-sided affair. And aside from Josh DeCary's 7 for 144 in the first innings, and I must say Josh is a great celebrator of wickets in cricket. <laughs> if you haven't seen the celebrations go ahead and watch the compilation on the County Championship Instagram account. But yeah, aside from that, another miserable week, in particular with the bat in hand. And again, we spoke about that with North Ants. Middlesex are in the exact same position with one batting bonus points and 19 bowling bonus points. So they are in a massive predicament. They really are. And again, you look at the, the batting averages. Ryan Higgins is averaging 40.41. And then the next best is John Simpson, averaging 25.91. So there's a massive disparity between the two. And we spoke about North Ants' struggles with the bats. Middlesex are struggling just as much, if not even more, you can argue, because at least North Ants have a couple of guys in Sam Whiteman and Safe Zabe who are averaging in the 30s. Middlesex don't even have that at this moment in time. So, again, I think these are perilous times for the Saxes. This was not a good performance. Don't get me wrong, it's a difficult place to come to and try and get a victory, given the strength of that Hampshire bowling attack, but again, things are looking very perilous for the Saxes, and things have got to change really quickly. The only problem, again, a bit like North Ants, I don't see how they change this. I think it's a case of they've probably got the best team on paper for the situation, but guys need to step up to the plate now. We're getting past the halfway stage. They've got to perform better as a batting unit. You know, guys have got to step up. With the likes of Sam Robson, he's an experienced campaigner. He's got to be averaging more than 25. Mark Stoneman's averaging 21.5. The characteristic that shaped Middlesex's promotion last year was top-order runs, followed by that wicket-taking prowess of the same attack. So, yeah, things need to change with Middlesex. As to how they actually implement that, I'm not entirely sure. Because, again, you look at the options in comparison to some other teams, and I do think on paper they've probably got the right team. Maybe they just need to alter the batting lineup, potentially put guys in in different positions just to try something different. Maybe try a different approach and start hitting the ball quite hard early on. And maybe going for that approach if you're going to get skittled anyway. I don't know. It's something for Middlesex to come up with. But if things don't change, yeah, the Saxes are definitely in danger of getting relegated back to the second division after only one season in the first division. But talking of the table then, let's have a look at the first division table at the end of the ninth round. Still at the top of the table, in first are Surrey on 129 points. In second are Essex on 106 points. In third are Hampshire on 103 points. In fourth are my county of Warwickshire on 93 points, but they do have a game in hand over the teams above them. In fifth, after that tremendous performance against Notts, are Somerset on 88 points. In 6th, Lancashire on 87 points. Again, like Warwickshire, with the game in hand. In 7th, Nottinghamshire on 78 points. In 8th, Kent on 72 points. In ninth, a Middlesex on 51 points. Again, with the game in hand. And in 10th and bottom place in the 1st Division, Northamptonshire County Cricket Club on 39 points. So, 
an interesting week in the first division. Surrey losing has definitely made things interesting, but again, I'm looking more towards the, the lower ends of the table. Northampton Middlesex both being beaten by an innings, Kent getting a massive victory as well. Yeah, that's going to be an absolute dogfight. And if yeah. Notts aren't careful, they could be dragged into it. So, again, for those saying that the first division is over, it's finished, so we're going to win the title and Middlesex and Northampton will get relegated, just hold your horses for the time being because, yeah, the first division usually does know how to spring a surprise or two over the course of the season, in particular heading into Super September. But Matt's. Aside from the action in Division 1 then, Matt, let's turn our attention to Division 2. And there's no better place to start than in the East Midlands, where Leicestershire and Durham played out an enthralling draw at Grace Road. Now, Durham won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off quite magnificently this week, as Alex Lees turned up scoring 101 from 151 deliveries, and the inform Ollie Robinson chipping away with a masterful 167 out from just 218 deliveries to take Durham up to a mammoth total of 517 for six declared by the end of their first innings. Now, Matt, right off the bat, this is where my first question comes from in terms of this game. If we're looking at the wider picture, we are looking at the promotion race. Do you think Durham's batting is strong enough to get them into Division 1 next season? Because I'm just looking at the outputs from their top and middle order this year, just to read out some averages, for example. I mentioned Ollie Robinson, 734 runs, averaging 66.72, three centuries, three fifties to his name. Then you've got David Beddingham, 667 runs, averaging 55.58, again, three centuries to his name. Alex Lees, 699 runs, averaging 53.76. And then even the likes of Michael Jones and Graham Clark, they've scored 534 and 457 runs respectively. Looking at that Durham outfit, do you think their batting lineup is strong enough to carry them to the promised land of Division 1? I do, yeah. Um, numbers don't lie, do they? Um, you have to say as well, they've got more batting points than any other team in the division. They've got you know more batting points than take Worcestershire and Gloucestershire combined, haven't they? It's, yeah, the numbers don't lie. Sometimes you have to dive a little bit deeper into the analysis and sort of pick out the nuances. But on this occasion, I think you can say, yes, they're talented enough. Whether they can keep it up for the rest of the season, I suppose, when, you know, when matches start starting at half past 10 in September and, you know, there may be a bit more of a need for lights to be turned on later in the day and the ball's doing a bit, etc. That might be more of a test. And indeed, that's why the county championship has the value that it has because you have to be so good over the course of the whole season. So that could be interesting, but I think what we've seen so far, yeah, I'd see no reason for doubt. To be honest, Matt, I agree. And you mentioned about those batting bonus points. It is quite tremendous, isn't it? From a Durham perspective, 31 batting bonus points over the course of eight matches. That's staggering. That's almost four batting bonus points every single game. So they're racking up these big first innings totals. And then, of course, they are finishing it off with the ball in hand. I know that wasn't quite the case in this particular match, as we shall discuss, but I like the look of this Durham side. We mentioned them as being a dark horse for promotion, but over the course of these first eight games, with that batting strength and also the potency of the same bowling attack, Durham do look very, very strong contenders for promotion in the second division this season. But aside from Durham's first innings batting display, 
Let's now turn our attention to Leicestershire's first innings because, to be honest, they didn't get off to a great start, did they? They were 83 for two after just 20 overs. But then it was well and truly the Colin Ackerman show, a man who's going to Durham in the 2024 season as the experienced Dutch all-rounder produced an excellent 146 from 258 balls alongside the likes of Peter Hanscom, he scored 55 from 95, and Phil Mulder chipping in with 56 from 88 to ultimately guide the Foxes up to a more than respectable total of 422 all-out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Durham yet again flexed their batting credentials, racking up a frighteningly quick 343 for four declared from just 61.4 overs, with Alex Lees turning up yet again in this game, scoring 145 from 190 balls, and then David Beddingham really displaying his batting might with a fantastic 145 and out from just 133 deliveries. Now, Matt, this is where the, the other big question from this game comes into perspective, I suppose, and that is Leicestershire's bowling, because this is something we've mentioned now for a number of years. And for those who are a bit clued up with the news surrounding the East Midlands County this week, they are going to lose Ackerman, they're going to lose Callum Parkinson, they're going to lose Chris Wright to Sussex. In terms of Leicestershire's bowling, do you think they've got enough in the tank to potentially get promoted? Because in comparison to other teams, I look at the likes of Durham, I look at the likes of Sussex, I look at the likes of Glamorgan, I think those teams that I've just mentioned there have got stronger seam attacks. Do you think that could be the potential undoing and the, the downfall of the Foxes heading into the business end of this year's county championship? Well, maybe not for the rest of this season, because, you know, as you said, they're not going until the end of the season, are they? Well, I, I, as we've seen in the past, players maybe tend to go in September, don't they? But I think if you look at the rest of this season, they might be okay while they've still got their players. Looking forward to the future, yeah, they're going to struggle because I think Chris Wright is exactly the sort of player that a team like Leicestershire love because he's an experienced operator. He's been, you know, seen everything he's done at all. He does a really good job at this level, but he's not, you know, supremely expensive. He's within budget for a team like Leicestershire, and he, I think he, I think he offers more than he costs. Essentially, I think when you look at it like value for money for players in terms of what you're paying them and what they can bring to the team. I think he's very good on that front. And losing him, he's going to be very, very difficult to replace because players like that don't come along very often. So they're going to have to be quite savvy, I think, in the winter to replace him. And it's not just his bowling either, is it? It's his batting. You know, I saw it first-hand at Headingley earlier in the season. Um, it can put on, you know, I'm not going to sit here and call him an accomplished batter, um, but he's... You know, he's certainly kept, but he knows which end of the bat to hold. And it can, yeah, it, it can be valuable, can't it? Especially with the bonus point system when you occasionally need a few sort of lusty blows from your number nine or ten. But, yeah, he's going to be very difficult to replace the years. And then, yeah, um, Callum Parkinson, yeah, you might be able to develop someone, I suppose, a, a quality spinner. They're rare, aren't they? But you see, they've still got Rehan Ahmed, at least. But yeah, Ackerman will be tough to replace as well. A um, little bit of just even, you know, just a bit of international experience. He's played for the Netherlands, doesn't he? He's got a lot of uh, lot to bring to the party as well. So yeah, th- I think those two will be the toughest to replace. But right in particular will be a big, big loss, yeah. He certainly will, Matt. And again, we look at the numbers for Chris Wright this season. You mentioned his batting prowess. He did score that 66 now at Headingley. 
but he scored 289 runs, averaging 41.28. And then unsurprisingly, he is the club's leading wicket-taker in Division 2 this season with 28 wickets at an average of 29.07. If I'm being completely honest, when I saw those three departures, I I look at all three of them as being irreplaceable. Callum Parkinson as well. I know we haven't quite touched upon him in as much detail, but he's been such a consistent wicket-taker. And you look at his performances in the Championship so far this summer, two matches, 10 wickets. He is a bona fide wicket-taking option for this Foxes outfit. And to lose him to Durham is going to be a massive, massive loss. The other big news, of course, from Grace Road this week is the suspension of the head coach, Paul Nixon, which, in fairness to Leicestershire, didn't have a massive impact in this game because Peter Hanscom batted quite majestically, didn't he? In that second innings, really dug away, grafted away with that 136 not out from 201 deliveries alongside Ed Barnes, who just grafted away with a gritty five not outs from 43 deliveries at the other end to salvage this draw for the Foxes. But in terms of the initial breaking of the news, Matt, obviously we can't make any further comments with regard to Nixon's suspension because Leicestershire's chairman came out and said there's legal proceedings going on. So nobody quite knows what's happened there. But in terms of the initial reaction, were you shocked at the news that, that Nixon had been put on, on gardening leave? Yeah, I was, yeah. And like you said, you know, you summed it up well there, mate. We, we can't make any comment as to why the whys and the wherefores and what have you. But yeah, it's like, wow. What's, obviously, your reaction one of curiosity, isn't it? What's gone on? Why has it happened? Why has it happened now? Just all the questions, really. And obviously, for now, none of the answers. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops, yeah. It certainly will. And for the Foxes fans out there, I do hope that we do get answers because they need them. It came all at once as well, wasn't it? Three departures, your head coach being suspended all at once. And then, yeah, according to BBC Radio Leicester, there are also more departures on the way from Grace Road. So to say it's been a tumultuous time these past couple of weeks for the East Midlands Club probably is an understatement. But then, given all of those external factors, you have to tip your hat to Peter Hanscom. He's having a great season for Leicestershire so far. 640 runs, averaging 53.33. He scored two centuries and four fifties. And again, he was exactly the kind of player that Leicestershire needed in a Jinkirahane's absence. Before the Indian international arrives at Grace Road, I think Peter Hanscom, with his experience, with his cricketing awareness, his cricketing Nelson pedigree, has been an excellent international replacement. So I think it's safe to say a fantastic game of cricket. It really was, and Leicestershire deserve a lot of credit for being able to just keep those Durham bowls at bay. Because I must say, Durham did bowl incredibly well in this game at times, in particular Ben Rain. His 4.55 was quite remarkable than where in which he bowled at times. And again, he's just such a dangerous operator for the Northeastern County. So I think we're both in agreement, Matt, that that was one of the standout games of the round. It was an absolutely thrilling encounter. But if we're looking at the bigger picture, Durham probably nailed on favourites now to be back in Division 1 after so many difficult years toiling away in the second division after those financial issues in 2016. This is wonderful to see, isn't it? I think all of us deep down have a soft spot for Durham. They've produced so many fantastic cricketers over the years. It's a great cricketing region full of fantastic people. And to see them in this vein of form, to see them winning again in Division 2 and potentially going on the charge back to Division 1 
I think is excellent for English cricket. So, again, fair play to both those sides, thoroughly entertained by that game that took place at the Upton Steel County Ground this week. But aside from that game, Matt, let's turn our attention from Grace Road and let's go to Cardiff. Let's head to Sophia Gardens, where Glamorgan and Sussex played out a really thrilling draw. Now, Glamorgan won the toss and elected to have a bat first in this game, a decision which, to be honest, you'd say backfired. The Welsh outfit being dismissed for just 242 runs, with the likes of Billy Root scoring 66 and Tim van der Hoogten chipping in with 44 and out from 72 balls, as the home side failed to fire in that particular first innings. Now, a big reason behind this, Matt, was the bowling of Nathan McAndrew, and I wanted to just put the spotlights on Nathan McAndrew, if I may, because he had a pretty rough start to life in the county circuit for Warwickshire last season. He struggled to adapt to conditions with the Duke's ball in hand, but it's safe to say that in a Sussex shirt, he's found his groove, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe it was a case of just, he'd almost come to a, a club where there was perhaps a bit too much attention. You know, you, you go straight into Division 1 and there's quite a lot of expectation on you. You know, Warwickshire, you, you're playing at a major test ground, you, you've got people on your back, you know, you're in you're in the big city. And I'm not I'm not saying, you know, even I don't can deal with that sort of thing, but it's just the, the the point I'm trying to make is that obviously there is a lot more expectation on you when you come to a club like Warwickshire versus, you know, you're not so much out of the way at Sussex, but you were just a bit more able to get on with your do do your thing without having that sort of that same level of pressure on you, I think, which can probably help. Also what he will have, you know, he will have learned from his time at Warwickshire, won't he? He will have, you know, he might have struggled while he was learning, but he'll have been able to pick up techniques and pick up different sort of tidbits of information that he'll have been able to then use. And I think while he might have struggled last year, that probably driven him more into this into this season. So I think it's kind of a combination. There's sort of less pressure on him. He's been able to pick plenty of things up. And it's all kind of coming together now in this season and it's producing results. It certainly is, Matt. And if we look at those results so far this summer, five matches, 26 wickets, averaging 21.15. Nathan McAndrew is Sussex's leading first-class wicket-taker in the 2023 county season. And I must say, he bowled very well this week. Figures of four for 58 over the course of his 16.5 overs. I do think we just had to give a special mention to Nathan McAndrew this week because he has been bowling very nicely in a Sussex shirt. And talking to the Martlets, Mats, their first innings didn't exactly go to plan either, did it? Uh, aside from Finn Hudson-Prentice, he scored a gritty 59 from 118 deliveries. But other than that, not a single 40-plus score for the Martlets in South Wales this week as Glamorgan restricted the visitors to a lowly score of 203 all out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Glamorgan didn't get off to an amazing start. They were 70 for two after 38 overs, real gritty, hard-fought, old-fashioned second-innings cricket. But cometh the hour, cometh the man, Sam Northeast racking up his 28th career first-class century to just steady the ship to just guide Glamorgan up to a more than competitive second innings total of 319 all outs by the end of their second innings. And Matt, talking to Sam Northeast, 
he used to be talked about when it came to England selection as well, didn't he? Such were his outputs in domestic cricket. In terms of his signing for Glamorgan, you think back to last year, scoring that 400 not outs against Leicestershire. You look at his outputs for the Welsh outfit so far. Do you think he has been the best signing for any Division 2 club? Because obviously we've had a lot of great signings over the course of these past two summers, but in terms of sheer impact, Sam Northeast has to be up there, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Um, he's certainly quality, there's no doubt about that. You've kind of put me on the spot a little bit here because I'm trying to think if there's anybody that really sort of sticks in the mind. I guess, to be honest, that's my answer, isn't it? That, that nobody comes to mind. So that's probably worth saying, yeah, he, he has been. Um, like you said, he, he's done a really good job in Division 1. And I think the gap between the two divisions isn't massive. But it is there, it does exist. And, you know, you bring somebody with enough quality to thrive in the division above to that level and, you know, it'll pay off. And indeed, it has paid off in Glamorgan. You know, they were strong last year, they're strong again this year. It's, he's definitely a valuable part of the, of that top order, yeah. He is, Matt, and, and that's why I just had to bring this up because even though he hasn't had a great season by his standards, 371 runs, at an average of 28.53 for Glamorgan this summer. It always comes back to that old adage, doesn't it? Form is temporary, class is permanent. And I just think with Sam Northeast, he does typify that particular saying. So I thought that was a great innings. And again, key players come to the forefront when their teams need them. And that brings me beautifully onto Sussex's second innings. Matt, we've got to talk about Ollie Carter. I put up a tweet on the Twitter account yesterday. This guy is impressing me so much in the summer of 2023. Now, yes, there were other excellent contributions from the likes of Tom Clark. He battled away with 42 from 120 deliveries. Then there were other valuable contributions from the aforementioned Nathan McAndrew and James Coles. But that last wicket partnership between Ollie Carter and Henry Shipley was heroic, wasn't it? 21 overs, those two battled, grinded, grafted away for to ultimately salvage this result for Sussex. And those could be massive points when we look at the promotion race later on in the season. So, Matt, a few words on Ollie Carter, because I'll come to the stats in just a minute, but this isn't the first time in which he's impacted the result of a game, is it? You think back to the first few games of the season, and he was producing these match-defining knocks. Again, this is another another massive question, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Matt, but is Ollie Carter the breakthrough player of Division 2 this season? Because, yes, we've seen the likes of Tom Price and Ollie Price for Gloucestershire, guys that will mention when we talk about the glorious Gloucesters in due course, Finlay Bean as well for Yorkshire has been very impressive. But Ollie Carter has got the second most dismissals in the division, and he's averaging over 40, so... Would you say that Ollie Carter is the standout young player of the season in, in the second division, or would you say someone else has maybe taken that crown? What are your thoughts and opinions on that particular question? Yeah, I think, to be honest, you've named the, the guy that would have come close, who's Tom Price, obviously, you know, scoring a ton and taking a hat-trick on the same day is uh, certainly the sort of thing that marks you out for that kind of thing. But no, I think um, from what I've seen of Ollie Carter, he looks very, very kind of composed. Um, he's a bit, he's not the most dreamy punches back down the ground, was it? It was a little bit more 
flicking clips off his pads and scoring square. But, you know, well, I'm sat in Essex right now and there's a fella who uh, plays in these parts who's profited quite well from flicking the ball off his pads and scoring squares. And so it's not, uh, it's not a, a thing that holds you back if you're good enough. And, yeah, you know, he was put down a couple of times, wasn't he? So obviously you need a, a bit of luck, but everybody gets that. You know, luck comes around, what comes around goes around, it, everything balances out, things like that. So, and, and you know, you, you have to have that kind of almost X factor about you to take the chances when it, you know, take the opportunity when it comes your way. You know, he's put down once, he carried on, he put down again. And then he kept going, you know, it could have been very different if he'd been caught that first time. The result could have been very different. So, yeah, to dig in like he did and to sort of shepherd Henry Shipley as well, really, really impressive. And that, you know, maturity is something that's definitely to be admired. And, of course, it was on the same ground as uh, Jimmy and Monty, wasn't it? Which uh, I'm sure won't go, the irony of that won't be lost. You beat me to it. I was going to make the Great Escape comparison between that innings and the one between Jimmy and Monty in 2009, an innings which, funnily enough, inspired me to start watching Test cricket. So, again, hopefully that innings from from Shipley and Carter has inspired some Sussex fans to take up watching the county championship. But, uh, again, Ollie Carter, you've been so impressive. 438 runs, averaging 48.66. And, as I said, I just wanted to take a a deeper look at his first-class career so far because... He scored 1,302 runs, averaging 37.2. He scored that 185 against Glamorgan last year, albeit in a losing cause. But he's got one career century and 1050s to his name over the course of just 39 innings. So if you are a Sussex fan, just keep a close eye on Ollie Carter. 21 years of age, he's a local Sussex lad. Definitely someone to keep tabs on heading into the future. But... Yet again, man, what a fantastic game of cricket. And it does take two to tango. And yes, Glamorgan will be the more frustrated of the two sides because those would have been massive points, wouldn't they? If they could have converted those draw points into win points. But I've got to say, they've recruited well yet again, haven't they? With Mitch Swepson. He really impressed me on Glamorgan debut. And that field in that final over was just something from the Renaissance era. It was a thing of pure, unfiltered cricketing beauty. So, uh, again, I tip my cap to, to both sides. It was a fantastic game of cricket. Glamorgan will be gutted. Sussex will be elated. But for us as county cricket fans, especially as neutrals, we just bask in games like that. It's great to watch. It's fantastic entertainment. And, yeah, may we have some more games like that. I certainly wouldn't be complaining heading into the rest of the 2023 season. But Matt, aside then from that enthralling encounter in South Wales, let's turn our attention to your home county. Let's head up to Leeds, where Yorkshire and Gloucestershire played out a high-scoring draw at Headingley. Now, Yorkshire won the toss and opted to have a bat first at their home ground, a decision which paid off quite superbly on this particular occasion, as the homegrown trio of Finlay Bean, George Hill and Matt Reavis all turned up to ultimately take the hosts up to a truly colossal total of 550 for nine declared by the end of their 130 first innings overs. Now, Matt, we're talking about Yorkshire, so obviously I will pass over to you, mate. But as a as a local lad, how fantastic was that to see Finn Bean, Matt Revis and George Hill 
three Yorkshire lads who have come up products of the academy. How excellent and satisfying was that for you to witness those particular centuries up at Headingley over the course of these past four days? Yeah, brilliant, mate. I've summed it up perfectly there. It's just like, you know, the whole is one of our own type thing. It really gets you, doesn't it? Um, it's it's kind of tough because you don't want to say it means more to somebody who comes through because I'm sure, you know, Sham Masood scoring a ton, it mean a hell of a lot to him as well. But it's just, I guess, the fact that this is the team that these guys have played for and, you know, worked hard for over the past, probably about 15 years in some of the cases you know you you join when you know to be a professional sportsman you join a club when you're barely old enough to realize what you're doing don't you and you just hope that you could one day make it and the fact that three of them have made it it's, you know with every, every county you know you also like to claim we like to claim ourselves as a bit of a cricketing hotbed don't we but i think the only reason we've got so many quality leagues is because it's so the county's so big you know it's like there's so many people in it. There's so much. That's that's it. It's just that's how it is. It's, it's so massive. I think if another county was a similar size, you'd get a similar sort of level there. And you know, there's plenty of absolutely quality PCB Premier Leagues all over the country. But Yorkshire really does have some proper proper talent within it. And you know, like we've just produced some decent players now. And I'm I'm glad. You know, we've got three of them in the England team now, and three more in our team that have done really well and you know don't get me wrong they're not going to do it every week it'd be nice if they did but for now let's let them enjoy it and i think they deserve it it's kind of a, a product of the work they've put in it is matt and again i always find it fantastic to see young homegrown talents coming to the forefront and putting in these kind of displays for their home county and obviously finn bean has been one of the stars of the second division so far this summer 434 runs, averaging 39.45. This was his second century of the season. The more that I watch of this guy, the more that I like him, right? He's just a great talent. I think he's got a massive ceiling. And again, this was wonderful to see him rack up the runs yet again in the White Rose of Yorkshire. But aside from Yorkshire's commanding first innings, Matt, let's turn our attention to Gloucestershire's first innings because in fairness to the glorious Gloucesters, after a very sedate start, which saw them reduced to 125 for four within just 32 overs, it was the Ollie Price show, wasn't it? And again, I mentioned his name earlier, but I do think that the Price brothers are just some of the finest talents in the second division right now. So Ollie scored 85 on his 22nd birthday last week, and then this week to finally rack up that maiden first-class ton after being stranded on 97 out overnight, that must have been tremendously nerve-wracking. It was a wonderful moment, one of the best and most satisfying moments of the entire round. So, Matt, just a few words on Gloucestershire's batting, in particular that century from Ollie Price, and also that quick-fire blistering 92 from just 104 deliveries, courtesy of Miles Hammond, which included seven sixes. That was quite the, the riveting innings, wasn't it, from the Cheltenham-born batter? It was, mate, yeah, and, you know, I think as we've revealed quite quickly that the Kookaburra ball was doing a little bit more for spinners, wasn't it? So you bowl your spinners a bit more, and obviously your spinners are more likely to be gently lofted into Leeds City Centre, um, which, indeed, he did. So, yeah, he's he's a good player, isn't he, Miles? I mean, he's got that sort of, how do you describe it? It's a sort of languid kind of, you know, long arms, ability to just 
pick up the pick up the bad ball and send it flying, and which is something it, it makes you a good all format player, doesn't it? Because it means that you can, if you want to play a defensive shot, you can get forward very well. You've got a long stride, and you can play the defensive shot very well. But equally, if the ball is bad and it's there to be hit, then you can get that sort of long, sort of looping hand behind it and send it. So yeah, it's, he's a, he's a good solid player. He's coming probably just about into the prime of his career now, isn't he? Just maybe um, just, just coming up to that point. So it'll be interesting to see if he can really kind of kick on and have a, a season that really makes people sit up and take notice because he's been doing the business well for a, for a couple of years, for a few years now. So, yeah, um, talent's not in doubt. And maybe Ollie Price is just two or three years behind him, isn't he, in, in terms of developing. But it's not been what you might call a brilliant season for Gloucestershire, has it? But that'll that will be a bright spot for them. You know, like like Yorkshire has not been a brilliant season for us either in the in the championship. So, you know, that that's how you get your sort of small small bits of joy from, isn't it? You see you, you young players doing well and that's where the success comes from in the hope that next season they develop and the whole team can sort of do a little bit better. Well, fingers crossed that they can because I do agree with the sentiment, Matt. I do think that it has been an underwhelming championship campaign for Gloucestershire so far. And we do need to understand that they were massively weather-affected, weren't they, in the opening rounds? But especially with the bat in hand at times, it has been relatively poor for what I thought would be one of the stronger teams in the second division. But yeah, Ollie Price just quietly is having a very, very good time of it. So... Over the course of nine innings, 316 runs, averaging 45.14. He's also scored 41 boundaries to his name. So, again, I know a lot of the spotlight has been on Tom Price this season, but Ollie Price is also a very, very good talent. And, Matt, it's funny you mentioned the Kookaburra ball because my next question surrounding this game was about Yorkshire's spin situation because we saw Don Bessett alone at Warwickshire and then we saw Dan Moriarty make the switch from Surrey to Yorkshire for this game. And in fairness to him, he bowled pretty well. Took figures of 5 for 139 from 34.2 overs. So what do you make of Yorkshire's spin situation? Do you think they could dip into the market for someone like Dan Moriarty? Because even though Don Bess is currently under contract, I believe his contract runs out at the end of next season. He hasn't exactly made the impact that we thought he would in a Yorkshire shirt, in particular in the county championship. Don't get me wrong, in the blast, he's been exceptional. But in the championship this season, he's averaging over 50 with the ball. So if we're looking ahead at the bigger picture, because I do think promotion will be a step too far for the White Rose in 2023, what do you make of the club's spinner situation heading into 2024? Would you back Don Bess? Or do you think you'd maybe mould him into a white ball kind of player? and then dip into the market for someone like a Dan Moriarty or an Amar Verdi. What's your, your thoughts on the whole Yorkshire spinner situation? Yeah, it's a weird one because obviously we only saw that John Best had been loaded to Warwickshire about half an hour before the start of play on Sunday. So the fact that it was also hurried and kind of, I would, I would say kept under wraps, I think it literally was just a thing that we made at the last minute. But we have made an investment in John Best and Clearly, we saw enough in him that we'd give him a four-year contract and now we're trying to move on from him two and a half years into that. 
it's a weird one. Are we trying to move on from him? I don't know. Um, you know, I saw him having a conversation with Anthony McGrath on the balcony at Chelsea after play finished on Tuesday after Essex won, and I have absolutely no doubt that whatever the hell's going on at Yorkshire probably came under discussion there. So I'm not quite sure. I think when a player of Dan Moriarty's quality becomes available, you take him, and especially if he's going to be better than what you've got at the moment, that's just you know how it works, isn't it? If somebody becomes available in the market that's better than what you've got at the moment, you sign them. That, that's professional sport, but it's it's almost like we're trying to kind of secretly move on from Beth. You know, no one just loaning in this guy for a bit and then sending Beth out with two minutes notice. It, I don't quite understand it. You know, the club aren't really obliged to tell us what their tactics are, but it'd be nice to know. I really hope they told Beth what the plans are. That's plainly disrespectful if they haven't. But, you know, it, it's, it's really curious that yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know what they're doing and all I can say is I really hope that Otis Gibson and his team do um, in answer to your question about signing someone yeah I'd love to sign someone to be honest I'd, you know I'd, far be it from that I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly going to slate Don Best but we might have got slightly swept up in the sort of heavy times of when he was around England and I think he might have been one of those that was a little bit of a flash in the pan, unfortunately. He's not really backed it up ever since. He's still young, he's still got time, but they've got a bit to do, I think. So, yeah, um, I think, in short, I wouldn't be against moving on from Don Beth, and I wouldn't be against signing someone like Don Moriarty, Dan Moriarty, like Amar Verde, I mean, I really wrote Amar Verde. But I just want a bit of clarity on what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it, really. And I think that's fair enough. I think that's what a lot of Yorkshire fans would expect from the club. But it is a very interesting predicament that the White Rose find themselves in because, as you said, this was a massive investment in Don Bess, signing him on that four-year contract in 2021. And it is a little bit strange how his career trajectory has gone in a Yorkshire shirt because I always saw him as more of a Red Bull specialist. And yet, if you look at the numbers, his white ball outputs have been better than his county championship outputs for the White Rose. So, again, only time will tell. That's up to Yorkshire. We'll have to wait and see if they do dip into the market over the course of these next few weeks. But, yeah, I'll just ask that question because it was an interesting one to to bring up for this episode, given the fact that Don Best had had that last-minute loan move to Warwickshire and then Dan Moriarty made the move up to Leeds. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see with regards to that. But I must say, Dan Moriarty, far too good to be warming the bench at Surrey. But yeah, Matt. Aside from the aside from the whole spinner conversation, this game was pretty much gone by that point, wasn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. in terms of results, there just wasn't enough game time left, and Yorkshire ultimately finishing on two hundred for six declared as the two teams shook hands on day four. So again, a high-scoring draw, which we're probably expecting to be honest, given the Cookerboro wasn't exactly conducive on that headingly surface. But yeah, I think both teams will probably take that draw, in particular Gloucestershire because they have struggled at times with the batting hand this season. So, yeah, fair play to the glorious Gloucesters. Battled away, dug away at it, and, yeah, ultimately came away with five extra valuable points up at Headingley over the course of this last week. But, Matt, aside then from those first three games, let's head to our fourth and final Division 2 game of the week, which took place at New Road. 
let's go to the game between Worcestershire and Derbyshire, which, unsurprisingly, given the pattern which has emerged in Division 2 this week, ended in a draw. But I must say this was quite an exciting draw, to say the least. So Worcestershire won the toss and elected to have a bat first. Now, this was a choice which, to be honest, appeared to have backfired quite noticeably as Anuj Dal and the Derbyshire Seamers sigh through the pair's batting lineup within just 83.3 overs to skittle the home side out for 237 runs on the first day of play. Now, Mats, let's talk about Anajdal, because, again, he's just one of these consummate county professionals. I think he made it into the Cricketers' Team of the Week, if I'm not mistaken. But a few words on that first innings bowling display. That was a very impressive fifer from the Derbyshire rounder, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I thought you were about to say Nottingham-born all-rounder then. Um, yes, no. Still got the Nottinghamshire love. I have a little bit, yeah, 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 I have. Um, no, Dabish signed him, didn't he? He's Dabish's player. No, he's, he's brilliant, yeah. You know, I, I touched on him, didn't I, in the preview show at uh, the beginning of this season, and he had, a, he had a really good season last year, and he's carrying it on. Yeah, he's just the sort of player that you can... He balances the side out very well, doesn't he? He can bat, he can bowl, he's strong in the field as well, you have to say. And yeah, he's a, he's a very, very good player. And it was, it was an important five for wasn't it? Especially when we, we talked about Kookaburra, it, it was pretty dead pretty quickly, wasn't it? So the fact that he kind of made it do things, it, it, it was important, you know, obviously it's important at any level. You, you want to keep working those partnerships and yeah, there were crucial wickets at crucial times and it was, a, yeah, it was a very, very good sort of determined display. And, and you know, I like what I've seen. I know he's a good player. He is, Matt, and again, definitely worthy of a mention on this week's episode of the podcast. I thought he bowled very, very nicely in those 18.3 first innings overs. But after that very impressive bowling display from the East Midlands County, Derbyshire certainly backed it up with the bat in hand, didn't they, Matt? And in particular, the man of the moment, the captain himself, Mr. Leos Deploy, 238 not outs. 356 balls faced, 25 four struck, two sixes thrown in there for good measure. A career best score for Leos Deploy, who has just been one of the, the foundations, the cornerstones, the key pillars of Derbyshire cricket ever since joining the club a few years back. That was an absolutely outstanding innings. And obviously the spotlight and the plaudits will rely heavily there on Leia's deploy, and rightfully so, because he deserves every bit of credit in the world. But aside from Leia's, he also had some excellent support from the aforementioned Anaj Dal with his 141 outs. And then Wayne Madsen, the timeless master of county crickets, also providing a first-class batting masterclass with 143 from 230 deliveries, as Derbyshire racked up a mammoth total of 578 for five from their first innings. Now, at this point in the game, it's fair to say Derbyshire were well and truly on top. They were in a commanding position, and it was a position which appeared to have got even better as they had the home side 55 for two within the first 15 overs of the innings. But again, we look at situations like this and we always talk about players stepping up to the mark and being counted. And for Worcestershire this week, that was Gareth Roderick. He grafted away like a gladiator at New Road this week with 123 from 209 balls, 58.85 strike rate, which 
for Gareth is a little bit low. He's usually a bit more of a free-flowing cricketer. But again, I thought that partnership between him and Ed Pollock, at one point Pollock was six not outs from 118 deliveries, which is staggering for someone who is thought of as one of the most powerful, destructive and explosive hitters of the cricket ball in the entire circuit. Those two deserve an immense amount of credit for that fifth wicket partnership because they just dug away, dug away, dug away for 38 overs to ultimately salvage those valuable draw points for Worcestershire on home soil this week. So, Matt, in terms of this game, just a few words, first and foremost, on that partnership. What did you make of that heroic stand between Ed Pollock and Gareth Roderick at New Road? Yeah, really, really impressive. And, you know, I, I briefly mentioned it there, um, the, the importance of partnerships. You know, they not only allow you to build, they not only allow you to take stock of where you are and, you know, continue to push your own score up, but they also serve a purpose of slightly wearing down the bowling attack. You know, they make the fielding captain have to sort of change things around a bit and they have to make sort of, you know, they, they put the pressure back onto the field, and that's that's what I mean. That's what cricket's all about, isn't it? Really, you're looking to build spells of pressure upon one another, and that's what a really good, a really good partnership does. It puts all that expectation back on to the fielding team, and you know they have to tell their original plans, and that's what you know that it, it served its purpose, didn't it? It did really, really well. It was um, it helped Worcestershire, it helped Worcestershire deal with what was potentially a very tricky situation and obviously in this instance it was very much led by Roderick wasn't it um scoring a ton right at the top of the order it was really really good performance from him but the, the sort of gritty kind of just the ability to you know really occupy the crease and make sure that there, there wasn't going to be any cause for alarm any sort of panic there was no it was very intelligent it was very calm and composed and yeah, it was it was a very it was, it was very good, and it, it's not often that you see. I mean, you, you mentioned obviously Pollock is a little, little bit slower than we've become accustomed to, but I wonder if that shove down the order might have helped him a little bit because you know we've, I'm sure we've seen even in the championship, you know, he opens up and he gets like a 25 off 20, and then he's out, which you know is, that's useful in a T20 or in a maybe in a one day game, but it's not really much used to anyone in a championship game is it you need you know if, if you started well then you need to go on but maybe pushing him down the order face the older ball perhaps is a little bit different with the kookaburra as well if it's not doing as much that'll be interesting to sort of see that comparison but yeah that, that could be something that's benefited him in his red ball form perhaps i'm wondering potentially and to be honest it was needed fred pollock yeah. this particular innings because this was his first 50 of the campaign before that, over the course of the first six matches, he'd only scored about 199 runs, I think it was. He was having a very lean season for the pairs. But as I said, you have to give so much credit to those two because Derbyshire really did try everything. And Mickey Arthur mentioned this in his post-match thoughts. He couldn't he couldn't fault the, the hunger, the desire, the passion for winning, but they, they just lacked that key breakthrough. And Roderick and Pollock certainly did frustrate them a lot, as did Matthew Waits in this particular innings. But again, even though all four games in the second division this week were draws, they were compelling draws. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with a game ending in a draw after four days, as long as the standard of cricket is high. And 
to be honest, again in this game, I was very impressed in particular with that stand between Roderick and Ed Pollock. But Matt, aside then from our four games, let's take a look at the Division 2 standings at the end of the ninth round. So at the top of the table, having played eight matches and racked up 131 points at Durham County Cricket Club, sitting pretty at the top, definitely in the driver's seat in the Division 2 title race. In second are the Leicestershire Foxes on 95 points. In third are Sussex on 94 points. In fourth and fifth, both on 84 points, are Worcestershire and Glamorgan. In sixth, but with the game in hand, are Yorkshire on 68 points. In seventh, are Gloucestershire on 60 points. And in eighth and bottom place, but again with the game in hand, are Derbyshire County Cricket Club on 51 points. So, so I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say that the promotion race in Division 2 is definitely heating up. I mean, that top five are separated. Yes, fair enough, Durham have got the separation at the top, but from second to fifth, just 11 points separating four counties. That is going to be an absolute dogfight heading into September. So again, folks, we will be here to take you through all of the key moments, all of the major action, which takes place in both the first and the second division of the county championship. But... I've got to say, from a personal perspective, even though the Bears did lose, I did love the ninth round. I thought it was an excellent round of crickets up and down the country. And yeah, the the Division 2 title, I think, is Durham's. But that second place will definitely be up for grabs heading into the course of Super September. But that is it from us two for our mammoth ninth round review show. It has been a long one, but we had an awful lot to discuss. It's that time of the season where the stats and the figures really do come into the forefront. But yeah, Matt, again, a massive thank you, mates. I know it's been a long recording, as it usually is at this time of the year, because there's so much cricket going on. Of course, we haven't even spoken about the Ashes. Goodness me, we'd be here talking for another hour and a half about the Ashes. But yeah, it's safe to say that the ninth round certainly delivered across the country this week. But that is it for myself and Matt for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys... We'll see you on the next one.